0: that says, we just want to hear God's word preached, we want to hear them, we want to know that the Holy Spirit is working there, we want to lift up Jesus in <laughs> our church. Rarely do I ever hear that. You see, today we're going to talk a little bit about the purpose of the church and the purpose of open woods. And so since today is the like Michigan uh, versus the losers, I mean Michigan State, <laughs> and I am wearing my best Jim Harrow on since today is that kind of beginning, I thought I'd start with sort of an illustration from uh, football. I love football. I used to coach junior high football in Texas, uh, where it's real, and it's, uh, it's a religion, and it's you must win, or they will put for sale signs on there. You can be a volunteer. They'll still put sale signs on your guard if you lose. But uh, our team was really good. We were 9 and 1 uh, one season, and um, uh, we were going to play a school in Fruitvale, Texas. Fruitvale, Texas. Just let that name sit in and stuff. We were a Christian school. We usually played Christian schools, Catholic church schools and stuff like that. So we played the whole Catholic church. We'd be, but it was no uh, priest running around in Texas. But it was no, uh, but we would usually, Fruitvale was a little different. Fruitvale wasn't a Christian school, but it wasn't a public school. It was a school for kids who had been thrown out. It was a reformatory school. So they had been thrown out of public school. They have been thrown out of everything. In fact, they were even thrown out of their home. They lived there on campus. And so we got our guys ready. We kept telling them, this is gonna, there's going to be some dirty play. And all of a sudden, we got them ready for it, everything. But we have this one trick play. It always works in junior high when we need it and stuff. It can work in high school and stuff. Usually, if you watch football, they send out like, the kick return team if you're getting the ball. And then they do their little thing. And then the offense and the kick return to sort of switch. Our trick play, it always works, is we send out our offense for the off. And they have a play already set. So they get it in the balls hike and they run like a fire drill. We tell the referee ahead of time. So they're lining up. And all they're going to do if we're on this sideline, they're just going to pitch it to this guy and he's going to run that way. And it almost works every time because the other team is in the midst of a change. You always get too many men on on the field and they're not ready. Well, they kick off to us. We have to practice in this play. All my quarterback has to do is a simple, I'm not even asking him to turn, just a simple pitch. And we run the sweep to our side. We get there, right there. They're in the middle of the, the exchange. There's only two or three guys. And they're like, hey, hurry up. And they're not ready. I'm like, this is great. It's a great way to start a game on an 80-plus yard run. We're just going to. And my quarterback takes the ball, and he throws it to the wrong side. Just out there to nobody. Everybody runs this way, and they pick it up, and they score a touchdown. 7-0, first play of the game. So we go, OK, normal stuff. We get out there. So my quarterback, he was just frazzled after that. He gets the ball, and he says, We're just going to run a simple toss sweep. Just a simple toss sweep. He takes the ball, he's supposed to space it, and he puts it, and he hits my running back right in the face mask at like 100 miles an hour for some reason. And it almost knocks him down. The ball lands there, they jump on it. Two plays later, they score a touchdown. We are down 14 to nothing, and it's only a minute into the game. There are parents still arriving, and they're looking at the score 14 to nothing. And I got those kids over together, and I said, This is not us. I was very passionate when I coached This is not us, this is not how we play. So we got the ball, I had to punt and pick it, and I got my defense together, because I was the defensive coordinator and I took a lot of pride in it. And I said, they do not get another hitch. They do not get another hitch the rest of this game. You hear me, they go out there. Little Joe McCormick, who at the time was a little seven, very real short, well, those are the deadliest guys. There's little guys who are not afraid of getting hurt, because they become a and that's what Joe was. He was my free safety. Little Joe McCormick is now like six foot four. It's really funny. But uh, and so they ran a ball and stuff, and Joe came out and, like shot out of a cannon, hit that ball with his helmet. The ball went up in the air, and one of my other guys got it. Okay, we're going crazy, the whole sidelines. And Joe come, coming. He's wearing a football mask. He's wearing they, they screw in with bolts. So here comes Joe, and he runs, and he and I'm emotional. I'm gonna hug Joe because he's one of my favorite players. He's doing great play, and he's on it to hug me because I'm his greatest favorite coach all time. And he comes and he hits me, but he hit me right in the face with his helmet, not only his helmet, but the little screw, and it went boom. And it felt like I got hit like a concussion and stuff. And I go back, and my cheek is gouged open. It's not even really bleeding because it's cut so deep. You know like that? And I have to have stitches later to put it together. And it's throbbing and everything. And I'm cut like this. And I really, I'm feeling dazed. And I get them all together. And I go into like Mussolini on the balcony to these kids. I'm like screaming at them. This isn't the way I taught you to play. This isn't how we practice. This isn't us. This is garbage! And I wanted and I said something to do what I taught you to do! And I'm screaming, and their eyes are getting big. And they went out there and we won 38 to 14. And afterwards I got I was talking with one of my uh, running backs, he's like my favorite player and stuff, and I was talking with, I said, man, that was a pretty good inspiring speech I gave. He said, Inspiring? You're a lunatic! <laughs> we were scared! you you're, you're They was fine. We thought if we didn't do it, we'd murder us. And we went out to win. I thought, maybe that's how I should preach. But anyway. But I thought of that phrase when I yelled at them. Do what I taught you to do. And I wonder how many times God looks at the mess of this world. Little boys and little girls. Being abused. Babies found in dumpsters. Kids taking guns to school. Little um, boys not being raised without a dad. Drugs just flooding our streets. Do you know we had more people die because of the opioid crisis than the Vietnam War together? I mean, we're set to lose another half a million people plus just over one type of drug. This world is a mess. And I wonder how often God would like to get us all together and simply yell at us, do what I taught you to do. Because this is it. So what has he taught us to do? So what's the purpose? What is that? Well, if you're taking notes, the purpose of the church, we could sh- hold it down to a few other things, but I think this is the most important one. The purpose of the church is to share Jesus. Is to share Jesus. We get into trouble when we lose sight of that. That's where the church gets into trouble. And what pulls us offside, like we're doing this, stuff, this Samaritan's purse and the things like this, and they're going to send those boxes, you should be part of it. But you understand something? That is not the purpose of the with Baptist Church, is to do nice things. And in a couple months, the first Saturday of December, this auditorium turns into the the, the best shoe store in the entire county It's free shoes. 300, 400 boys and girls are gonna get boots and shoes and eye care and dental care. They're gonna to get to sit on Santa's lap and everything else like that. And all these things are gonna take place. But you understand that that is not the purpose of Oakland Woods Baptist Church is to give away shoes. We're not a, we're not a pro-life church. Don't walk away, I am very pro-life. But that's not what we are. We're not a pro-life church. We're not a Republican church. We're not a Democrat church. Amen. Either way, that's not what we are. We are a Jesus church, and all of these side issues pull us offside. Churches get involved in politics. They get involved, even like ministries. We are not. I love Iwana. We are not an Iwana church. Our our goal here is existing, is not to do a certain ministry. We're not a student ministry church, Pastor Ken. That is not our goal. Our goal is a Jesus church. That everything we do, a lot of student ministry, getting out these boxes, these kids here getting free shoes, and everything else. Everything we do is about pointing people and sharing Jesus. That is our purpose you mentioned that a lot because time after time, you see church after church get focused on something. Some of them are ridiculous to get focused on. Some of them are good things to get focused on. But once we pull our focus away from Jesus, we cease to be what Jesus needs us to be. And if we're not going to talk about Jesus, let's close up the doors. Let's go. Let's do something else. Sleep in on Sunday. Go to the Lions game. Do something. Well, you're up for punishment. Do something else because if it's not about Jesus, then why are we doing it? Listen, can I just add I'm gonna give this to you? If you're here and you teach God's word, if you're a teacher or anything else, what's your purpose statement for your class? Why does your class exist? Now I understand on that purpose for some of you, two, threes and stuff. The number one purpose might be to stay alive this week. Okay, I'll get that. Thank you for doing it. But seriously, why does your class exist? Why do you do what you do? I would challenge, I'm not gonna make you, but I would challenge every teacher, everybody who leads a ministry to write down. The purpose of our class is to do this, and then do it. i double doubled down on that. How about as a family? What's the purpose of your family? You want a great example? Most marriages, this is what most marriages, if they won't say it out loud, but most marriages' purpose is to get the last kid to 18 and graduate high school. That's the only reason we're staying together. I don't really like her. She doesn't like me, and everything else like that. Uh, she, got, she got fat, and he got bald. And and, you know, that's, that's it, but, but boy, we're waiting on. We're going to get that kid, and we're, that's our focus, right? And they actually can stay together, and it works really well. And then they get that kid, that last kid at 18, he graduates high school, and that's why the leading group of divorce are empty nesters. Their whole focus was to get that kid graduated. That was their purpose. They did it well, and once that finishes, they don't exist anymore. And they fall apart because they did their purpose. I would challenge you something. What's the purpose of your marriage? What's the purpose of your life? I want to have purpose. I want to have... Let, write it down. And let, let's figure out what it's supposed to be. But I would like to suggest to you, if it doesn't include sharing Jesus, it's probably not going to last. Listen, we did this this year. One sentence for Oakwood. It's on our Walnut cafe. And it's this, Oakwood Baptist Church is about Jesus. We study the Word of God. Why? Because it's great literature? No, we study the Word of God because the Word of God reveals Jesus. We reach the next generation. What? For Jesus. And we declare that Jesus is the only way. And our purpose, you say, I don't do like a full purpose statement. I just have four things. This is why we exist. This is what everything I do. I have this in my office. I look at it periodically time to time. My number one thing that I want to do here is a clear message. And I, so the first thing I do every week, this is the thing I focus on, this is the thing I spend the majority of my time trying to get somebody like, you think it'd be better? Yeah, I guess, but um, this is what I focus on is to get a clear message of God's Word. If you're here and you're a teacher, that needs to be your number one thing, a clear message. Number two is children. That means students, high school, college age, everything. If you live at home, and you don't pay your cell phone bill, you're number two, okay? is to reach that next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a great problem taking place right now. This is a big problem, is we got too many kids here on Wednesday night, we got too many high schoolers, we got too many I kids, and we're trying to figure out a way to get some things going. And we might actually I actually made a phone call this week about moving our high school kids off campus on Wednesday night to do something different or a gym or something like that, because we don't have the building for the number of kids we have coming. Isn't that a big problem? Yeah. Yeah. And so well, you should focus on the old people because the old people who live in money. It's easy to do, obviously, because kids are annoying, teenagers are worse, college kids, come on, I can't relate to something. I was married at 21, some of you are like 27, I've never been on a date, be involved in our community, this is where I get trouble, be involved in our community, Uh, be involved in compassion and helping people and doing things, that's our whole purpose. That's why we exist, and that's everything we do falls under one of those four categories about the message, about the the community and compassion. For next year, this is going to be a big thing. This is our theme for next year. Our theme for next year starts what we want hopefully is going to be a successful ministry called Amplify. And Amplify is about church planting. Uh, We're going to ask you to be involved. Uh, We've already met with a group of people to kind of uh, workshop this program and to go over it. Amplified is this, expanding God's kingdom by creating more churches. It is the local New Testament church that God works through. Look, there's a lot of good things that help and and organizations and things and stuff like that, but ultimately, it is the local New Testament church does the best at reaching for the kingdom of God. Let me just tell you, the kingdom of God right now is spiritual. The kingdom of God is everyone who's in heaven. The kingdom of God right now is everybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ. After the rapture, after the tribulation, there'll be a thousand year reign called the living of Christ, and the kingdom of God will actually be physical here on earth. But right now, the kingdom of God is everybody who is saved. That's what we want to do, and the best way to get more people saved is to have more Bible-preaching, God-fearing churches out. We're going to do four things with it. We're going to pray for church planters. We're going to partner with church planters. That means money. We're going to have hopefully have them participate with us and participate in their ministry. And we're going to plan. That's our goal. That's one of our goals. It's a three-year goal, a four-year goal. We have a goal that somebody will come here on staff. It would be great if one of our young men got ruined your life and called you into the ministry too. And <laughs> But we want to bring somebody on staff with the goal of the next three or four years of planting a church somewhere in our local community that we can help and be part of, amplify. That is our purpose. That is our goal. God called us to reach people, and he called us to start churches, and I believe the two are not uh, exclusive with that goal. Amen? Amen. But the world needs Jesus. So today in John chapter 5, we're going to see a pathetic story. This story... John chapter five. It's the wrong in there You can look at six, but that's not what I'm reading. You can preach your own message. But in John chapter five, we're going to see a pathetic story. We're going to see a very sad man who has no one to help him. As I read this story, I'd like to ask that question: Where are all the Christ followers in this story? Where are all the people who believe in God? Where are all the Christians? You know? Where are the people who know Jesus? So, John chapter five. Let's meet this man. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and the Jews went up to Jerusalem. Uh, we don't know which feast it is. The Jews had different feasts. This is either the, uh, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the Feast of Weeks, or it could possibly be the Passover feast. We don't necessarily know what feast it is, but it's one of their religious feasts that they would do. verse 2, Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool. Um, if you're using the King James Version like I am, you'll notice that that word market is an italics. Anytime in your Bible, especially the King James, and you see a word that's in italics, that's a word that was added for clarification. That's not in the original language. So they added that. So they added the word market. What this place is, is a sheep pool. It's a large basin, probably concrete. We're going to find out it has steps going around it. And water runoff would go there. And when they would bring the sheep in, uh, they would use this basin as sort of a watery trough and the sheep would go in there. So if you know anything about sheep, they're dirty, disgusting, water runoff, who knows what's in it. It's not the freshest water. It's not water you're necessarily going to drink, but for an animal it's acceptable. So we find this sheep basin of water, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. It's interesting what the word Bethesda means. The word Bethesda means house of grace or house of mercy. Now what a great name for a church Bethesda that a church should be a house of grace and a house of mercy amen mm-hmm. um, let me stop here for just a second we're going to see that this man probably did something to his own self just let me give you a couple of points I think of a pretty god solid ground but this man did something horrible and he basically paralyzed himself from it. you know you see those guys that think it's going hold my beer and then they go and do something stupid right this man did that, and he did something stupid, and he paralyzed himself, and there's no one there to help him because he probably did something to his family, and his family wants nothing to do with him. Verse four. here's a myth that developed. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whether so over the first... After, the first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole, and whatsoever disease they had. Now, here it was. It was a myth. I do not believe this is accurate. I don't believe it was an actual angel. The water would move. And so you need to picture these steps all the way around this water basin, sometimes sheep going in there doing what sheep do and drinking out of it. But there's all these blind people, crippled people, uh, handicapped people, people with disease, maybe cancer, but they didn't call it that. You know, different issues that were going on. And here's the myth. If the water moves, it's an angel. And if the first one can get in the water, you'll be healed. Now, Jesus never calls them out on this and says, hey, uh, this is stupid, guys. That's not what angels do. angels do. He doesn't take out Billy Graham's great book on angels and say, let's have a little discussion here and we'll go through all this. He doesn't because he doesn't... <coughs> Jesus doesn't care about this stupid stuff. <laughs> He's going to go get to heaven to find out but a lot of things that we thought were so important. Jesus is going to... You cared about that? You cared about a hair length? You cared about whether a, a deacon wore shorts to church or no, a cold front? <laughs> Maybe he will care about that. I don't know. Right? But we're going to think that these aren't the things Jesus cares about. The things Jesus cares about is people. Jesus doesn't stop here and give them a discussion about, well, let's really talk about what angels said. Angels are messengers. He doesn't do that. Because he doesn't care about this nonsense and this silly stuff. He cares about people. If you have ever found yourself thinking, well those kids will break the building. Those kids will do this. With politeness, you need to re-examine your heart. Because Jesus doesn't care about this building. Jesus cares about the kids. My mom cared about grass. I care about grass. I got that from her. And uh, you know. Seven kids and stuff, so me and my brother and our friends were playing wiffle ball in the front yard. And we turned the house, it was a two-story house, we turned it into the home run porch, and we got, you know, know, points for it and everything else. Well, we were doing it all summer, we developed a pattern, you know, where the pitcher was standing the batter was standing and everything, and it was killing the grass. My mom said, you guys can't play out there anymore, you're killing grass. My dad kind of interfered and said, hey, we're not raising grass, we're raising kids. Way to go, Bruce. Got to finish our game. All right, verse 5. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity about 38 years. Interesting. Usually the Bible will say, like, since birth, he had an infirmity his whole life. But it goes out of its way to mention that he had this infirmity for 38 years. We're going to see later on in verse 14 that he probably did this to himself. All right, here's what I'm going do. What's your fault? You made the choice do put a gun to your head and put that needle in your arm. Now you're struggling financially, maybe you shouldn't have got pregnant. Maybe you shouldn't have left your husband. Maybe you shouldn't have started drinking. You made the choice, you did it yourself, (coughs) fix it. I know I'm not the only one who struggles with this, because this is what religion does, doesn't it? There are certain people we like to help, right? They they didn't do anything wrong, and their house burns down or something. They like, oh, let's help those people. Then there's these other people who keep messing up repeatedly. You've had all these issues happen to you. You've had all this stuff. And you know whose fault it is? It's the government's fault. No, it's your fault. You made these decisions, and you screwed up on your own, and you made, it's the consequences of your decision. And we like to put people in category B, we don't really help those people because they screw up. And we like to put people in category A, and these are the perfect people. Can I tell you something, when you end up doing that, there's nobody in this category! Aren't you glad that when you were a sinner, God loved you and sent Jesus to die for you? Aren't you glad when you were a teenager, you didn't get pregnant? Aren't you glad when you were a young person, you had enough sense or somebody stopped you or your dad punched you in the back of the head and you took that cigarette out or you didn't take that drink or you didn't? Aren't you glad that you didn't get caught? They, they act like this, like they've never done anything wrong. <laughs> and I know these people. It's such just, just a joke. Anyway, but, come on. Aren't you glad you didn't get caught? Amen? Amen. Because your life would have been just like some of these other people. The difference between them and you is you had enough sense how to lie or cover up something a little bit better. And they didn't. We get in this category. Certain people we help and certain people we don't. Jesus doesn't do this. This man probably did something on his own, screwed his body up, screwed his family up, and there's no one there to help him. And we might simply say he's getting what he deserves. But that's not what a house of grace and mercy is. In verse 6, and when Jesus saw him lie, and then I, I add one thing. I think he probably had compassion, on him. maybe I'll add that to the Bible. And when Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had now, now a long time in that cause, he saved that "Wilt him. Will thou be made whole? Uh, that's the question Jesus is asking everybody here. I mean, he sees you in you know, this situation, these problems, and everything else. And listen, Jesus isn't going to probably erase your coordinator. You? He might, but he probably isn't going to erase it. But you know the first step to be made whole is addressing the God-shaped hole that's in your life. That's in your heart. It's you need Jesus. And he asked everybody here the same question. He looks down and he sees the mess you made out earth. is Isn't that amazing what we do? We, we often call salvation giving God our life and everything. And what
1: we usually do,
0: we never give God our life when we just got the promotion and everything's going well, we usually give God our lives when we're at it, when we're screwed up, when everything's a disaster, when our wife left the dough down in the refrigerator saying, fend for yourself, I'm out of here, and everything's horrible, the home's being for them Then we go, here God, I made a complete mess out of it, it's a complete disaster. Here you go God, here's my life. Right? But you know the great thing about God? Grace and mercy. Even when you screw up your life, grace and mercy. Somebody say that. Amen. amen. Let's go back here in verse seven. Then the infinite, more paralyzed man answered, "Sir, I have no man. Where's his family? What did he do? Maybe he was single. Okay, but his parents died. I, I don't know. I have to believe that I think he did something. I've told this gentleman. I've told this to other men before. I'll tell it some of you. Your decision you're thinking about making, you just need to understand this. No one's coming to your funeral if you make that decision." I and mean, they say, "Well, I'm thinking about leaving my wife." You said, "Just mark it down. You're not going to be invited to any weddings right? or graduations because your kids are going to distaste you because of the decision you're making." Well, she's not as pretty as she used to be. Like, have you looked in the mirror, Jack? You're telling me your wife isn't pretty, and you look like a trainer. Except for you, I you it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Moving anyway. sir. I have no one there in the water's trouble to put me in the pool bottom there and come with another step at them you can see that right some of them are there and they've got maybe their sons are with them and as soon as it happens their sons pick them up and take them of the water or they've got a wife who's there and you can see this man listen it's on steps you know this man is just sitting there that's all he's doing he's sitting there he hasn't social security doesn't have any of this stuff he's got his last hope he doesn't have no one else to do this is what the TV preachers pray out and if you can <coughs> imagine that when he sees it maybe he rolls himself down these these concrete type steps and he's trying to get in that water and somebody else jumps over him before because maybe they have a, a, a splinter in their finger and they want I don't who knows what happens. People are selfish, people are greedy and everything. But what a horrible pathetic sight this must have been. And Jesus saw it. What does he do? In verse 8. And Jesus saith unto him, I love this. Jesus saith unto him, get a haircut, maybe get a longer skirt, use the King James Version, vote Republican, quit doing drugs, straighten yourself up, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. He doesn't say any of that. Jesus just says unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And you want to of the difference between Jesus and the guys on TV, look at verse 9, and immediately the man was made whole, and he took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And this is where the Jews start to hate Jesus. Because the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to do anything. You weren't allowed to cook or anything else. Listen, you know what the Sabbath was? It was a break. It was a day of rest. But you know what it was a rest from? It was a rest from the burden of the Old Testament law. And all these rules and rituals that they had to do. And you know what the whole point of the rules and rituals were? Were to point you to the fact that you can't keep all of them and that you needed a Savior. That's the whole point of it. And these Jews got sucked into religion. And they made their stupid little traditions more important than we Back here in verse 10, the Jews therefore sent unto him that was cured. Praise God, isn't it amazing? You were so sick and we saw you and we could do nothing about it and you're healed. Let's then get together. Let's have a celebration feast. Let's just hold hands and sing kubaya Let's give praise to God. That's not what they do. And it was the Sabbath day. It was not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. How do you miss that? How do you miss a great miracle like that and focus on, you're carrying your bed wrong. And he answered them, and he that was made whole, the same, the same who made me whole, said, Take up the men and walk. And if he can make me whole, I'm going to do whatever he says. (laughs) He doesn't even know who Jesus is, by the way. Do you notice that? Then asked they him, What man is it that saith unto thee, Take up the men? And and he that was healed wist not that it was Jesus that had conveyed himself away. And multitude and not It's amazing how Jesus preaches. He does a lot different than most of us preachers do. Many times Jesus would preach, he doesn't even give an imitation. Many times Jesus would preach and he'd say really confusing, hard things and he'd say, think about that. And he'd just leave people and walk away. Many times the way Jesus preached because he did not just tell people what they wanted to hear. A lot of times people went away, man, I'm not following him anymore. How could there he say? Did you see what he said about it? No, I know. Who, is, who does that guy think he is? He's God! And Jesus doesn't do anything like normal preachers to draw attention. He healed this man and in the midst of it he just kind of slipped away. You know what He probably did. He probably found somebody else to heal. Doesn't say that, but I know Jesus. In verse 12. Then asking they, What man is it that takes to take up that bed and walk? In verse 13. And he was healed. was not news it was Jesus, but conveyed away a multitude being in that place. And afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and saith unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. That verse part right there tells me that he has done something the worst thing will come upon you. Stop doing what you didn't do. But you know what I love about verse 14? Jesus would love you. Jesus would love for me. How many of you are here today and Jesus would for you for you? Like mm-hmm. This is only me being about five people going to heaven. Right, we'll miss you. Uh, make sure and lock up if we're not here. <laughs> How many are in here today Jesus went looking for you? If you're saved, Jesus went looking for you. Amen. Amen. He's a gentleman. And Every time I do a wedding, I always try to draw the analogy that the groom represents Jesus and the bride represents the, the body of Christ or anybody who's saved. And Jesus has said, I do to every person on the planet. It is your responsibility to say, I do back to him. Jesus went looking for this man, and I'm sure glad Jesus went looking for me. Amen. Now let's finish this up in verse 15. Then the man departed and told the Jews which it was Jesus, which had made him he, he throws Jesus under the bus, and therefore did the Jews persecute, or another word, they hated, right there, and sought to slay him. Why? They want to kill Jesus. Why? Because of the things he did on the Sabbath. Because of the good things, the healing that he did. Isn't it amazing? You would think sometimes you do something great in church, you see something, and you'd expect everybody, and somebody else goes, Yeah, but you tracked in mud on the floor. I had a pastor at first work for him. So I'm so glad I didn't have to stay there long. We started reaching, I was a student pastor and stuff. And, and Ken, we started reaching kids that uh, uh, were involved in games. At least they thought they were, you know. They thought they were they were bad and stuff. They were gay and stuff. And it started getting saved, and we started mentoring them and stuff, and we started get this little group. And one time, and they were all Hispanic and stuff, right? And so we had, like, a two or three rows of, like, lowriders at one point sitting there in the youth department and stuff. And the pastor is like, uh, are these the type of kids you're going to be reaching? Is this the type of people we want to reach? Is that really what we want to do and stuff? And I'm like, Yeah. I don't care who we reach. I don't care if we reach low riders. I don't care if we reach black people, white people. I don't care. As long as they're not Eskimos, I don't care who they are. That's a joke. It's a joke. You know, who hates Eskimos, right? <laughs> Let me close. There are three ways. Highlights from the pool. Highlights from the pool. Number one religion was more interested in symbols than the need. More interested in these man-made symbols, and these man-made things, and these issues that didn't really matter. They were concerned about their feast. They were concerned about their Sabbath. And everything. Let's stop making symbols more important than Jesus. I George, I don't know if you did it. I got feel like a feeling it's you. Somebody broke our light. Oh, well, that was sitting there this morning before breakfast. Yeah, I know. It's part of my message. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Somebody broke the light. I don't know when. Sometime this week. Looking right at you, George. All right, there's a lot of kids, right? Somebody, somebody's grandmother paid for that light. Somebody donated their light. Like, you know how many Baptists it takes to change a light bulb? None. What's changed? How dare you say change? Right? I don't know if it was. A, I, it might be one of the deacons coming in here messing with you. Let's break things. I, I'm suspecting Ron, but anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you. <laughs> but really, you know what? I don't know if it was broken during Iwana. So what? That is not more important than any gift, amen? amen. And if we got to break things and i got to fix them and paint things and do all this other stuff, then that's what we'll do. If that means some little boy and girl hearing the gospel for the first time, if that means some little girl bowing her head eventually and asking Jesus to come into her heart, if that means some little boy knowing Jesus will be forgiven and going to heaven, then we will break every life picture in this entire church. Amen. Right? Because symbols are not more important than people. Listen, God is about results over man-made rules. I think it was two Wednesdays ago. My phone went off. The presidential emergency warning. Nobody warned me about the warning. <laughs> he got that, and I thought, "Oh my lord, he started a war." <laughs> North Korea is baking. I don't know what's going on. What are we gonna do with that? There's a ooh. There's a nuclear war. Okay. I'm gonna do the same thing. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do what you're gonna do. You're gonna run around acting like crazy. Go in my basement like that's gonna happen. But Anyways, right? I asked Sandra, I said, did you get the present? She goes, I didn't get one. I said, but you didn't vote for it. That's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, i <know. laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> Listen. God's warning is going on. There's a lost and dying world. Divorced. This this teenager doing drugs, bringing guns to school. There's a whole family is deteriorating in front of us. And I'm concerned about stuff that God doesn't care about. God cares about people, not stupid things. Number two, highlights from the pool. Clarity on all issues is not needed. The man didn't even know who Jesus was. he? He just had a need. He didn't care about any of the other stuff. Listen, the thing people need to know, and they don't need to... People don't need to agree with us. You don't have to be a preacher or care with a rapture. You don't even have to know about the rapture. You don't have to be like me and be a creationist and actually believe there's a God you know and an actual Boat. You don't have to believe in actual Adam and Eve. You don't even have to believe in it. What you need to know first and foremost is who Jesus is. And this is who he is. You were a sinner separated from God for all eternity. But in while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. God loved you. He sent Jesus to be born of a virgin, 33 sinless years, who died on a cruel Roman cross, showed who he was and conquered the grave three days later. He is God, was always God. The only way you're getting to heaven is accepting what he did on the cross. That's all you really need to know today. And after that... That's when discipleship takes place. That's when mentoring takes place. That's when those of you who are leading our, 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 our senior, I almost said old people, I'm not supposed to say that, our seniors, old people ministry, that's when you take over. That's when our college ministry takes over. That's when the student ministry takes over. That's when Sunday school, that's when our deacons take over and start mentoring and discipling people. But the thing you need to know first and foremost is you must be born again. You need to know Jesus. Amen you disagree with me on everything, that's all right. That's fine. When we get to heaven, God will straighten you out. <laughs> Listen, God's calling creates confidence. The reason you're not sharing Jesus is because you're afraid you're going to fail. The reason you're not going to take one of those tags and do it because you're afraid you're going to fail. You're going to screw up the church picnic. How can you screw that up? You're going to screw up something that takes place and it's not always oh, it won't happen. Listen, we've screwed up plenty of things in this church before you ever got here. And we'll screw up more things after you. You can't screw up any worse than we do. Amen? Yeah. When I was in, uh, God called me in the ministry, and I struggled and I struggled and I struggled I finally gave in. I went to uh, school in Springfield, and I'm there. 10 you're not a music guy, right? So you're just like me. So I'm struggling with this call because I don't think I can do it. I think God made a mistake. And there, and they had this, like, rally. And I met this one girl from Alaska. I don't know what she was doing. Never saw her again. She had to be a demon. Half the girls are demons anyways. But anyways, after yeah. but and we're there, and she told me this thing, and I'm struggling with being this, and she said this, if you can't play guitar, you can't do student ministry. <laughs> okay. I couldn't play. I had <laughs> no musical ability and stuff. Went back to my room, I cried. I called Mr. Earls, though, and the guy who got me involved in student ministry, who's really nice to a stuff. And I said, Mr. Earl, I'm supposed to be here. And stuff. He goes, Steve, I'm 100% confident you're supposed to do it. If you come home, I'm going to fight you. You stay there. You know, those colleagues create confidence. I'd love to find that girl. Like a girl. It's like Number three. Highlights really cool. Hurting people need results. Okay, you're right. I'd like to take a moment here and badmouth the team you like and bring in the After last week, (laughs) after last week, I disliked them even more. If you watch the Lions, I decided to watch them over there. The Steelers had won, so I thought, hey, let's have a laugh. So I watched the Lions, and the Lions won. And they won because their kicker, Mason Crosby, right, he missed four field goals. He just signed like this $2, $3, $4 billion contract. He missed four field goals. And what annoyed me the most is the fact he missed field goals and stuff. You're a grown man who just paid millions of dollars to play a stupid game and you can't kick a ball. You're not even a real football player, you're a kicker. <laughs> Wasn't outdoors, was in the field, it was inside, climbing control, Astro turf, perfect scenario, air conditioned heat, whatever you want, no glare, everything possible, and he missed four field <coughs> goals. So you know what the Packers did? And this is what I hate about it. The Packers did this, they were the game was basically over, they were doing a last-minute drive, and they couldn't have even if they scored, it didn't matter. So instead of going for a touchdown, they brought little Mason out so he could feel better about himself. And they let him kick a meaningless field goal at the end of the game because he needs to feel good. Yay, hey, Mason! You're a grown man. You want to feel better about yourself? He you probably cashed a $300,000 check on Monday. Cash your check, do your job, make the field goals. You're a grown man playing a child's sport. Suck it up, Buttercup! <laughs> Drove me nuts, though, bringing him out there. Up, they, and the, the announcers were saying that too. Really want to give him, they want to make him feel better about the game. He shouldn't feel better. He should feel horrible. You should go home and practice. You should give back your check. Yeah. <laughs> you had one job and you didn't do it. But you know what? That's what entire churches are based on. That's making you feel better. This is our celebration service. We only celebrate, we never say anything. He never will say sin. You might not come back for our celebration. Listen, there's nothing wrong with celebrating. I like celebrating. Easter, great time to celebrate. What does I say is to you politely? If you're going to a church, it doesn't make you feel bad from time to time. You're going to a wrong church. There's this thing called conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're going to church every Sunday... You're a horrible person. You're a sinner. You're going to hell. There's nothing for you. You're the worst of society. Wow, that's uploading. But, anyways, we have entire ministry, entire churches that are just making kill people. There's a lady, very nice lady, and she only comes on Easter. And last Easter, she said to me, because we always celebrate Easter, it's always a positive service, right? And she said, I love
1: coming here. I always feel so good. I should come more often. And I wanted
0: to say, but I did I want to say, if you came more often, you wouldn't feel so good. (laughs) Because church is not about your feelings. Church is about the truth. It's about hurting people needing results. And listen, you'll never get yourself fixed until you realize you're a sinner. You'll never realize you have to take care of something until you see you have a need Hurting people need results. They don't need to feel better. Let's let the little Mason feel good about himself this right, week. Feelings are not an excuse for results. Amen? Yeah. As I close, let me tell you something embarrassing that happened to me. Many years ago, I used to be a decent athlete. I wasn't great. I was a decent athlete. High school, 20 something. Sometimes you wonder why Sandra married me. I'll tell you why. When she married me, I had a 27 inch waist. I mean, 135 pounds, I can bench press over 220. I looked good. I was I had muscles here and there. Never, had no legs, I never did anything on my legs because I never saw a girl go, ooh, look at those legs, no. but Anyways, now, now I weigh 220 and I can't bench press 130. But anyway, but it's too late, she said I do, sorry. <laughs> um, anyways, so I thought I was a decent athlete. This other guy went to another church, uh, Rambo Baptist Church to be specific, and um, we became friends because we both were volunteers and were uh, counselors at junior camp and stuff, and so we became good friends. And so our churches all went up to winter camp together, and uh, they went skiing. And this is my first year skiing, but I thought I was pretty athlete and everything, and I was getting the hang of it, you know, french fries, pizza, french fries, pizza and stuff. <laughs> and I was able to do it without dying, and I actually was able to go down some of the slopes and stuff. And so I kind of got up with him, well, he, he tried out for the Olympics. He didn't make it, but he tried out for the Olympics. So he, he was actually a really good skier and stuff. So it's the end of the night and everything, and he goes, hey, he convinces me to go on the last the, of you know, those black diamond things that look like the raid symbol and stuff. That should give you the first morning of stuff." So I'm like, oh, sure. I'm getting the hang of this. I've been skiing. And I've been skiing for two months. I'm ready for this, right? Wasn't ready. So we went out there and, stopped, and we get over the top. And he goes, okay. And I'm like, well, what are all those hills? He goes, those are mumbles. I've since realized what moguls are. Moguls are the people who die skiing. They just covered with snow, <laughs> and this whole hill there is like straight down. And you know, it's all these moguls and hills on it, and it had like a perfect layer of mist and everything. So it was just really slick and icy and everything. And he goes, "Wow, well, see you down there!" And Jumps off. And he goes, oh, you know, like a." bubblegum commercial or something like that, screw it, it's he's swooshing and going like this and everything, there's a little ramp. he gets around he actually does a flip and everything. And I'm like the only person on this hill, and I'm thinking, how can I get down here? <laughs> there's no way, they turn out the lift, I'm the last guy down and stuff. And at the, that last hill went right down to the lodge area, like our youth department, 40 of my friends and the with my brothers down there? All these other churches are gathering down there, and I'm the last one, he's coming down, his church is watching him because he's doing tricks and stuff. But, well, okay. And I'm like, okay, here we go. So I start moving slowly. <laughs> go over the hill. That's, that's the hill. <laughs> go I'm, okay, went down one exactly. And somewhere around the second dead body logo, I lost it and just, and just I ended up down there. I almost beating him down. You <laughs> <laughs> ever seen Daffy Duck when he gets shot? And he just, and his face is backwards and stuff. That was me going down the hill. One of my skis came off, and they, they actually beat me down. And I'm coming <laughs> down and I watch the ski go down. It's like oh, I think go right past me and stuff. And I finally get, and I get all the way down into the end, and a face covered in snow, everything, and all this other stuff. And there's like my whole youth department I was like, There's my older brother and everything. And you know what they did? Uh-huh. Lapped their head off. <laughs> Just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And laughed. Ah, the new what happened to you? Ah, that's why we don't talk now. But, anyways, no. <laughs> Listen, you know, this is why you're not going to take one of those tags off that banner. <clears throat> this is why you don't share Jesus. You and I'd like to tell you that if you serve God, nobody's going to laugh at you. Might not happen. Young people, you, you're Let me just talk to one. You're the only virgin in the entire 10th grade. People laugh at you. You're the only guy in on the team that doesn't do the dirty jokes or go to the parties. People laugh at you. You have standards. You're, you're the only one that doesn't do this. they laugh at you. Middle science class, you share Jesus. Teacher laughs at you. People laugh at you. You know who won't laugh at you? God. <laughs> He's got a there's going to be a ton of time and place where I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account for everything I've did, everything I've said, everything I've achieved. I'm going to an account for my purpose on this planet. You going to be laughing today. Amen? Mm-hmm. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Just hear me and Jesus. band's going to come up. They're going to play a song. Let me just ask this. I do not normally do this. It's very rare So If nobody looking around Every head bowed. Every every eye closed. Please do not look around. This is a rarity that I do this, but if you're here today, nobody's looking around, eyeballs are closed, just between you and Jesus, you know Christ is your personal Savior, you are saved as you are born again, just a testimony between me and Jesus, would you raise your hand and say, I am saved, would you slip up your hand, amen, put your hands down, now, nobody raising their hands, nobody lifting their hands up, everybody who raised their hand, it seemed like just about everyone did, not everybody did Everybody who raised their hand, can I ask you this question? Don't no, raise your hand, don't say anything. Are you following God's purpose for your life now? You raised it for salvation. You raised it and said, I'm a believer, I'm born again. If I ask you to raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm doing God's purpose. I'm doing my family as God's purpose. I'm doing everything God wants me to do on this thing. I may not be the best at it, I may screw up a lot, and boy, there's a trail of mistakes in my past. But my purpose is what God wants and I'm doing it today. Could you raise your hand and don't do it Just between you and me. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, every person who raised their hand and said, I'm a believer, Lord, thank you. Uh, The people who didn't, maybe they were confused, maybe they're not a believer, Lord, help them to someday come to know you as their Savior. How about today? And Lord, for every person who raised their hand and said, I'm a child of God, I'm saved, let them also be able to say, I'm doing God's purpose for my life. I'm doing God's purpose for my family, for my marriage. Let him be able to say that today, Lord. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Would you stand with me today? Does the man lead us to song? Will you respond today? If you know Jesus is your personal Savior. Could you raise your hand today? If I ask you to raise your hand about God's purpose, could you raise your